Apple controls the iOS ecosystem. As an accident of history, Apple also controls the podcasting ecosystem. Unlike most ecosystems within Apple's dominion, podcasts remain open. A podcaster merely has to record an MP3, distribute it via RSS feed, and submit that RSS feed to the iTunes podcast portal. Podcasting has thrived in recent years, but very few technology companies have managed to take advantage of that growth. Libsyn is the most popular place to host a podcast. Libsyn is a combination of a CDN, a hosting service, analytics, and a place to get an RSS feed for a podcast. There have been many clones of Libsyn over the years, but the company remains the industry standard. For people who are confused, iTunes does not host any audio files. iTunes is just an index of RSS feeds. A podcaster who needs to host audio files somewhere gives iTunes access to those audio files via the RSS feed. Today's guest, Rob Walsh, joins the show to talk about podcasts, the evolution of podcasting, and his podcast, Today in iOS. I had a great time meeting Rob at the Microsoft Build Conference. It's always fun to go deep on the strange uh, and nuanced podcast ecosystem and infrastructure. So thanks to Rob, and also thanks to Barat Bot for organizing the podcast booths at Microsoft Build. That's where I interviewed Rob Walsh. So I had a great time at Microsoft Build, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm sitting here with Rob Walsh, who is the host of several podcasts inside the podcaster studio today in iOS, which we'll probably be focusing on, and podcasting tips for everyone. Rob also is the VP of Podcaster Relations at Libsyn, which I use personally, and I used, I love the product. It's great analytics. Um, and so I want to start off by talking about iOS because this is Software Engineering Daily. It's an audience of software engineers. We specialize in software engineering content, so I don't want to betray the audience. Um, we're sitting here at Microsoft Build. Why is Microsoft Build of interest to somebody that specializes in iOS podcasting? Uh, well, my audience is a mixture of people that want to know more about the iPhone, consumers, your moms, maybe yourself if you have an iPhone. And then the other side of my audience is developers. And these are wannabe developers, weekend warrior developers. Some people are developing for their company. They've been ta they're, they're, they're the guy that everyone came to went to get computers working at the company. So now they're the guy they go to when, hey, we have an idea, we should have this company app. And we don't want to spend $100,000. You, know, you need to go figure out how to build this app for us. Uh, so that's kind of my audience. It's, it's the mixture of the iOS users and the iOS developers. And the iOS developers are listening to the show to find out what's the latest in news and information in, in the world of iOS. So they kind of want to see the trends, what's going on. So I try to bring the whole world of iOS to them in a, in a, in a nice little one-hour capsule about once every 10 days, 7 to 10 days, sometimes 10 to 14 days between episodes. So it's not really today. I, I know the show's called Today in iOS. It's more like, oh, every fortnight in iOS. Right. right. So my personal experience with iOS, I'm also working on a company right now that is mostly an iOS app. That's the, the core functionality of it. And it's been a rude awakening to how the iOS app store actually works, how the app 
submission process works, it's dramatically different than the process of shipping a web app where I just put it online and I can easily access it. Submitting the iOS app store is an onerous process. What are the costs and benefits to Apple's ecosystem of having this really high barrier to entry to getting your app accepted? Well, the, the, the reason they have the high barrier to entry is they want to make sure nothing gets through the walled garden that shouldn't be there. So, I mean, that's what they're going to tell you. The walled garden is there to protect people from the malware issue that you deal with on, say, Android. Now, you don't hear about that issues on the iOS side. iOS users are, are going to download more apps. So if you get in there, you're going to get a more loyal group that's more likely to consume apps. But Apple developers will tell you can be a little draconian. Uh, we, I, I joked with you earlier that app, if you, the first time you're an app developer, if you submit to the, the app store, you can expect your app to get rejected. And, and it might not be anything you did wrong. I, I really believe sometimes Apple just wants to roll the newspaper up and smack you on the nose and let you know that you, they are the alpha and, and you behave. And it's, you know, maybe I'm being a little nefarious in my thinking, but personally, we had an app for my podcast and it went through six rounds of getting rejected. And one of the rounds of getting rejected is said the app didn't do this. And then two, two rounds later, it was your app does, should, should do this. You know, it was, it, I got in trouble because it didn't do it. And then I got in trouble because it did. Right. And I was like, wait a second. You can't tell me, uh, reject me for not doing it and then reject me for doing it. Right. Yes, they can. And yes, they can. And that's can. their point. Yeah. And their point was, well, we can do anything we want. Uh-huh. Um, but overall, Apple has gotten better at approving apps. It's faster than it used to be. It used to be two to four weeks. It's gotten, they've gotten faster from the, the app developers I talk with. Even internally at Libsyn, we submit a lot of apps. They seem to get approved a lot faster than they used to. So Apple's gotten better at it. Um, Wasn't there a big initiative recently by, what, Phil Schiller or whoever? Uh, yeah, whoever took over for, yeah. for Scott. Yeah, and... I think they've put more resources to it, and they've made more automation and checking the apps for nefarious things. Yeah, so it used to take like a week to get your apps approved oh, for two longer, weeks. Or yeah, longer, I mean, okay. they would tell you it was two, and then we would see people and talk to people that was four weeks. Yeah. Oh, and they go, oh, no, no, we're two. And, we, and I'd be like, well, not everyone I'm talking to. People I'm talking to are four. And it does ebb and flow depending on the time of the year. There's a, this is a bad time of year to be submitting apps. A lot of people are submitting apps right before WWDC. Ah. Yeah, so, so things do ebb and flow around the crisp between Thanksgiving and New Year's. They will tell you it'll take longer um, because there's a lot of people at Apple just take off and, and they're gone. But through the regular year up until, you know, say, through April and May, beginning of May, you're looking now lately at like a less than a one week period to get apps approved for resubmitting for uh, you know updates on your app. The updates go faster. Again, it's different if you're submitting a first time developer submitting your first app, you can expect to get it rejected. Yeah, you, you want to build probably two rejections into your timeline. Tell me why you started today in iOS. I wanted an iPhone. It was originally called Today an iPhone. So I started it 10 years ago before the iPhone came out. And I said, ooh, Steve got on stage and he showed that shiny little thing. And I said, I want one. How do I justify it to my wife? Oh, I'll just start a podcast on it. So I was already podcasting. Um, and I said, oh, I'll just start one called Today an iPhone. And I did. And I launched it in April of 2007. And uh, I actually got an advertiser, Audible, right out of the gate. They, they paid me sight unseen enough to cover me for the, the iPhone and, um, and, and the, the cell plan for a year. 
So I figured out here's how much it was going to cost. In the first three months, that was what they paid me. So I had the, the phone and the first year taken care of right out of the gate. And so you just continued it despite the fact that your wife eventually was probably won over to buy an iPhone herself. And she was the longest convert I've oh. had of anyone I know. <laughs> she had a BlackBerry until the iPhone SE came out last year. So, um, yeah, so here I am doing the first podcast on the iPhone, and I couldn't even get my wife to go away from her BlackBerry. She's very non-technical. Do you still find yourself legitimately interested in the stuff that goes on in the iOS ecosystem, or is it more of like momentum that you've just built an audience and you're... No, I really am interested. You're interested. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I read about it even if I wasn't doing the show. Tell me about some of the nuances in that. Because, you know, it's so funny. <clears throat> I do all these shows about software engineering. I don't do a whole lot about... Well, I can't do many shows with Apple engineers because Apple doesn't talk to me. Apple doesn't talk to anybody. I don't do a short, whole lot of shows about Microsoft, although listeners have been asking for more about Microsoft. Uh, and yet these are you know, two that used to be the preeminent tech giants. I also can't do many shows about Amazon. But it's funny because I just interview people, and we talk about the tech giants a lot, but I can't talk directly to the tech giants. But tell me some of the nuances that you have learned about the modern iOS ecosystem that you wouldn't know unless you were doing day-in and day-out reporting about the iOS ecosystem? Well, I think the one thing about the Apple ecosystem is Apple has a plan for it, right? They want it to be a very controlled ecosystem. They want it for not the ends of the curve, but the middle of the curve. You know, when you look at it, they don't care about the top 5%. They don't care about the bottom 5%. They care about that 90% in the middle of users. Um, if you're going to be a superpower user and you're going to totally customize everything, then maybe Android is the way for you to go. And, and then that's not what Apple is trying to claim their ecosystem is about. But they want you to be able to come into their ecosystem and do everything. Everything that you want to do with your smartphone. And, and, I, and I think the nuances with, with the iOS ecosystem versus Android is people are more actually likely to use third-party apps in that ecosystem on the iOS side than Android users are. And when you actually look at it, I think there's really is like three groups of smartphone users in the world. There's iPhone users, you know, iOS users, there's the Samsung users, and then there's the rest of the Android users. And, and I think what you, these break down to is people that get a, want a phone, just want a phone, don't care about anything else, just want a phone, maybe email, texting, they get an Android. People that want more than a phone, they get an iPhone. Yeah. People that want more than a phone that don't like Apple get mm -hmm. a Samsung. Wow. Interesting breakdown of the market. I had not heard it presented that way, but that makes a lot of sense. So how does that impact? Give me an example of how that okay. impacts something something okay. subtle. Okay. So, so there was a report recently by a company, um, and they said, oh, iPhones crash more often than other devices, right? And, 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 and then when they gave the numbers they had this breakdown of what caused the crashes. And it was very interesting. It said iPhone crashes, and, and it was, ironically, it was they didn't nominalize it based on how much time people used on the devices. They just looked at the total number of crashes. But iPhone users, most of the crashes came with third-party apps. Android users, most of the crashes came with native apps, except for Samsung users. And the Samsung users crashed with third-party apps. <laughs> So what it said was, really, when you looked at it, it was iPhone users and Samsung users were, cra were crashing th with third-party apps because right. they, they were actually using third-party apps, 
But the rest of the Android users were crashing with native apps because they weren't using third-party apps. Because third-party apps are always going to crash more than native apps, or should, in, you know, in a perfect so, world. So let's clear things up. When you're talking about third-party apps, you're talking about if I'm on... If I'm on Uber, you're on Uber, Uber or right, right, right. something like that. Any 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 app that wasn't natively installed on your device by the manufacturer, and that app crashes, that's what they consider the third-party app. Now the company did a bad job when reporting because I actually reached out to them on the show and I talked about this. I said, "Did you nominalize for the amount of hours used?" I mean, because if you have ten crashes and someone used the app for hundred hours in in a week, and the other and the other phone crashed eight times but they only used it for five hours, well. Well, you can't say this one crashed more than that. You can, well, yeah, it did. Technically, it had 10 crashes versus 8. But for nominalized for amount of usage, then you can't say that. And that's not a valid data point. Uh, and, and they admitted, no, we didn't nominalize for amount of usage. We just looked at the devices. And when you looked at it, when you looked at their data, it really did show third-party app crashes happened on iOS and Samsung devices. So Apple and Samsung devices, which when you think about it, those really are the two big brands, and then there's all the other Android phones. And, and the other Android phones are people making decisions based on price, for the most part. In your show, are you trying to report mostly on the present state, or are you also prognosticating about, oh, Apple is preparing for their augmented reality headset? I hate talking about augmented reality. You hate honestly. talking about augmented yeah, reality. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, um, well, let's be clear. I'm not asking you about whether or not yeah, you talk but, but about I do, I, I do speculate on some things. Okay, right. uh, so I have a segment. So the, the basic show is a breakdown of, uh, I'll talk about some of the latest news that's actually news for uh, something like, here's the latest version of the betas. What's new in the versions of the betas? Here's the latest version of iOS. They just launched it. What's some of the new features in that? So we'll talk about some of that or Apple release some new software or new app or, or something that's really actually news. Then I'll get into listener feedback. I do a lot of listener feedback, and they'll have people ask questions. Sometimes they're going to answer questions, um, and they have a go ironically, I have a Google Plus community for my iOS podcast. Oh. Uh, uh, I just like the Google Plus community better than the Facebook community. Um, gets a little better search juice, but that was what I settled on at the time. Um, and, and then I'll get into some rumors, and in the rumors. Sometimes it's just brutal because it's just like so many. Sometimes I'll, like, sometimes I'll just skip a couple episodes. Like I, look, I am just burned out on rumors. I'm not going to talk about iPhone rumors because they're coming out of the woodworks. And there's some really fake news sites. Like anything from Digitimes, you throw it out the window. If it's a rumor, it's from Digitimes, it's not true. What kind of fake news is in the Apple rumors fake news business? Oh, you, know, you get, literally you'll get companies like Digitimes that will say the, I, the iPhone 8 is going to be released on Oh. September this, oh, wow. or and, and and our supply chain says that it's going to release on time, and then two <laughs> weeks later they say our supply chain said it's going to be late, and then six months later they report, hey look, we were right on this one. So they'll say it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, and then they report back, hey, we told you it wasn't going to happen, you know, or they just completely make stuff up. But a site like Mac Rumors is credible, somewhat credible. Mac Rumors isn't too bad. Yeah, you know, nine to five Mac isn't too bad. Those are ones that are more legit. But anything from BGR, forget it. The Verge, forget it. Those are fake news sites. Verge. Oh, anything that has to do with rumors, Verge just makes it up. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, really? Verge was this is my next. This is my came from this is my next. This is my next was one of the worst fake news sites about rumors when they when when they launched. 
Because they would just know if they made stuff up about Apple's next device, quote unquote, because it would always be um, a unnamed source or people in the know. That's that, you know what that means? When you hear unnamed source or people in the know, that's the way of, the rep- of you knowing the reporter made it up based on speculation. And this is what that per- reporter thought was going to happen. And, and I use reporter with air quotes. Um, but yeah, if you look at a tutorial that comes from The Verge or a tutorial that comes from BGR, they're fine. But if you look at rumors from The Verge or rumors from BGR, they're as bad as Digitimes as far as hit rates. So, and that's one of the things I'll do on the show is I'll call out the fake news sites. A lot of people, I mean, myself included, would find it shocking to learn that a lot of Verge's Apple-related rumors are quote-unquote fake news. Uh, do you call into question other things that they write about? I don't look closely at the other things. I look closely at iOS rumors. And I know, and I track them, and I have everything in Evernote, and I have all my show notes forever. And I go back and I'll look when the iPhone comes out, I'll go back and I'll look at which sites were right and which sites were wrong. Oh, wow. And, okay. and, and by doing that over time, like, This Is My Next was absolutely the worst. I mean, they were so far off. They would literally make stuff up. And, and it, you could tell it was made up. And then that became The Verge. And, and these are things I, I've said on the show. I'm not you know, calling out. Uh, it, again, tutorials, they do a good job. But when it comes to rumors and when it's unnamed sources and it's uh, things like that, you can't buy it. You can't believe any of it. It's really just like Digitimes. And I've st- actually stopped reporting on rumors. When, they, when the source is BGR, The Verge, or Digitimes, I won't even put those rumors into my, into my episodes anymore. People will email me, how come you didn't talk about this? I go, but, well, it came from Digitimes. And I, I, I completely stopped reporting on Digitimes because it's so bad. Tell me more about your reporting process because you know, Software Engineering Daily, it's not exactly news. It's not exactly opinions. Uh, it's kind of like report. It's like almost like secondary sources or like uh, looking at the widely accepted uh, media or talking to people and then creating op-eds on top of that. It kind of sounds like that's what you do. You look out at the what's going on in the ether and then you congeal it into uh, something that synthesizes a lot of that information and also injects your own opinion viewpoint. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. Is I, I'm trying to make it where there's an hour-long episode where you're driving or whatever you're doing that you can kind of catch up on the latest news, hopefully have some tips and tricks where you can learn something new, mix in a little dry humor, sometimes too dry for people to even notice, yeah, um, kind of a little British humor in there, um, and try to have some fun with it. Uh, you know, I have a segment of how wrong were they at the beginning of the episode where I give a quote from somebody said something in the past and we just kind of laugh at how far off base they were on the quotes. You're like, oh, you know, the new BlackBerry is going to eat the iPhone's lunch. And, and, it, and it's a quote from like three years ago. I'm like, what were you thinking? You know, this is what you have to take from InfoWorld or wherever it was from. You know, it's like, remember this when you hear anything from Paul Therott about iOS. It's wrong. Right, you know, he's going to t- tell you that this is going to ha- bad is going to happen with anything to do with Apple, and Thorat's always wrong, you know, because he's so anti-Apple. So there's certain people that you that you can't trust um, their judgment when it comes to anything iOS related, and there's other people that do really good jobs. I mean, there are some that that come pretty good uh, to the mark. Um, 
I, I would say Renee Ritchie, iMore is pretty good, reliable uh, source. Uh, Taco uh, Mac, Taco Ornera, it's a it's a Mac website out of Japan. I forget the exact how to pronounce it. Uh, he does pretty good, but then you know there's others that get. Um, Ming Chi Kuo, Ming Chi Kuo is, is one uh, of those that gets over said. Oh, he's right all the time. No, he's not right all the time. He's right more than others, but he's not even right half the time. Um, but I guess you know, it, if you have a batting average that's that's good in baseball for Mac Rumors, that's a pretty good average. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I want to segue into talking some about podcasting because you work at Libsyn, and we had some very interesting conversations about podcasting before the show. Uh, to segue that. Apple obviously dominates the podcast listenership uh, audience in terms of where are people listening, um, and because you know if you open up statistics on Libsyn for any podcast, Libsyn by the way for people who don't know, I think you guys are probably the dominant CDN slash hosting solution for podcasters who want analytics that they can say to an advertiser. We have Libsyn analytics, and it's sort of a certification almost because people trust that brand name you also can see macro analytics from working at Libsyn so you probably know what is it 80% of people listen on listen to podcasts on iTunes it, it, it's, it's a iOS app uh, the, the Apple Apple's podcast, podcast app yeah. you just change the name Apple's podcast yeah. app and iTunes so yeah. that's that's the Apple ecosystem it's 80% or 85 it's, it's about 70%, 70 right direct to those yeah. plus then there's another 10% that go to Overcast and Shifty Jelly Pocket Cast and Downcast which are those directories are scraped from the iTunes directory so Apple actually either directly or indirectly affects about 80 to 85 percent of the downloads because they are the index of record for podcasts right. yeah a lot of people don't realize that if you use overcast or shifty jelly pocket cast those directories are scraped from the itunes directory are they a superset? Do they do they get other podcasts, or are they just a mirror? They just they're just a mirror. Some just of them are just it. a mirror. Instacast is a kind of a combo, um, and, and there's some others that are a combo where it's it's a it, they pull, but then you can also add. Yeah, uh, I think Instacast. If so many people add a, a podcast, it automatically gets into their directory going forward for others. So, like when I talk to people about how much effect. Apple has on podcasts is almost like a Rorschach test because for some people it's like they're happy that Apple hasn't changed the ecosystem much because it's kind of the wild wild west still in some regards uh, but other people are like oh why aren't they for example you and I were talking about what counts as a listen versus a download versus a lack thereof earlier today why doesn't Apple standardize that? They control the podcasting market. Couldn't they just standardize that? Maybe Apple should make it easier for you to monetize your podcast. People have varying beliefs on this, but I don't know. I guess I want to hear your opinion about like why do you, I guess, first question, do you fault Apple for how they have handled their their accidental dominance okay. of the podcast market? It's funny. A lot of people in the space, in the podcasting space, especially the New York Procasting community, the public radio folks and, and the Nick Quaz and those folks, they want to beat Apple up for not doing more. And I'm like, wow, Apple, if it wasn't for Apple, podcasting wouldn't be where it's at. Don't fault Apple for creating an ecosystem where people actually wanted to consume and can consume easily podcasts. If you want to beat somebody up, and it, it, the irony is they're beating up Apple. You want to beat someone up? Beat up Google. 
where is the native app on Google? The, the, the IO, so let's put some numbers here for people. To, I want to put this in perspective so you understand why I'm saying this. 86% of all of our downloads last month went to a mobile device. Of the 86% that went to mobile devices, there was a four and a half to one ratio, iOS to Android. Wow. That's wow. You want to make it wower? Ratio. That's, a glo- that's a global number, mm. right? So four, wow. 4.5 to one. Now, there's over five to one ratio of Android, Android devices to iOS. To devices. Yeah. That means it's a 25 to one ratio of consumption per average iOS device to average Android device. 25 to one. Why is that? Because there's a native app yeah. on iOS that Apple has supported. Yeah. There is no native standalone podcast app. If you want to beat somebody up, you want to get mad at somebody as a podcaster, be mad at Google for not having a native app. That's who you should be mad about. Don't worry about whether an app, Apple's giving out stats or this or that. Advertisers are still paying for advertising. They don't need all of this validation yeah. like people want Apple to provide it back. Matter of fact, Apple said, be careful what you wish for. You <laughs> yeah. want the numbers back, right? But it's not Apple's fault, and don't beat up Apple for being successful and giving an ecosystem consumers actually wanted to use. I mean, I was in podcasting before Apple was. I started podcasting in 2004. Libsyn started in 2004. The big inflection point in podcasting was June 2005 when iTunes supported podcasting. Then there was another inflection point when the iPhone came out and another one when iOS 8 came out because that's when the podcast app went native. It wasn't Serial. It was the iOS 8 app. That's what really shifted podcasting a couple of years ago. People think it's serial. No, 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 no. That serial got lucky and launched right after iOS 8 went native. People don't realize less than 5% of all podcast listeners have ever listened to serial. That's it. Less than 5% of podcast listeners have listened to serial, and they call it this great big breakout hit. Let's put that in perspective. Over half the people in America that watch television had watched MASH. That's a, break, that's a, that's a breakout. <laughs> Yeah. One-tenth that percentage is what listen to Serial of podcast listeners. So what could Apple do better? You know, that's, that's the million-dollar question. Because Apple said recently that they plan to help podcasting or that they're going to do some additional tools or something like that. Uh, it was a, Eddie Q was in an interview, and he, he mentioned it briefly that you know, they're, they're looking to, to into the space. What could Apple do? One of the rumors is that they could make it possible for you to sell episodes, make some premium where people could oh. go in. So that I mean that that's would all, be right. the obvious value right. add. Right. But advertising doesn't make a lot. People think, oh, well, Apple's going to get into advertising with podcasting. Why? They, yeah. they, they, they didn't succeed with banner ads, <laughs> yeah. with iAds, right? Yeah. And that was easy. Yeah. Because relatively speaking. That's completely in opposition to their culture. Right. And, and, and even if they were... And here's the thing. Even if Apple got into, ba- into ba- podcast advertising and they were super, super successful at it, what percentage of that $250 billion would that make up? Such a small error. The amount of time that this episode ran, the interest they made on their $250 billion would be more than they'd make in a year from podcast advertising. Yeah, although the podcasters would probably be saying, hey, but it helps us and... Maybe it encourages more people to make podcasts if it's easy turnkey to monetize your podcast. I, I think a lot of times, and, and I've been in a room where people, and, and Apple was in the room, and there was a bunch of these people that were beating up Apple. And, um, Apple yeah, there was a person from Apple in the room, and they were beating up Apple that we need to get more stuff back. And, and they really, these people had this attitude that Apple owed it to them. Right. And, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Apple creates an ecosystem not for the people that are benefiting from it, 
but for the consumers. Yeah. Apple's ecosystem drive, and that's what I think is really different between iOS and Android. Android, the users are the sheep, right? The advertisers are who the Android system is built for. That's why Google created Android for the advertisers. That's their customer base, right? They're not selling phones realistically. I mean, yeah, sure, they have one, but they're not, if you look at the numbers, they're not really selling phones, right? And, and they're making their money through advertising and their applications that are in that ecosystem, and that's from advertisers. It's all about advertisers. Apple makes their money from the users. That's the two primary differences between the ecosystems. And that goes back to podcasting. It's the same thing. Yes, we as podcasters are benefiting from Apple having this ecosystem, but Apple doesn't owe us anything. Right? Apple doesn't owe the advertisers anything because they didn't create the ecosystem for us or the advertisers. They created it for the end users. And they are grateful that as we as podcasters are there. And in, in the day when podcasting got added, it made a lot of sense for Apple to have podcasting. People don't understand the history of podcasting in Apple. The reason that podcasts got added to iTunes was because Apple was launching iTunes stores around the world and didn't have rights for music and movies. And there was no apps at the time. So... Apple to launch an iTunes store in, in Botswana where there was no, nothing to put in the store because they didn't have rights for music or movies would be an empty store. But they had this free content called podcasting and that helped them and that helped them sell iPods at the time. So that's really why Apple got into podcasting in the day. That's insane. I had no idea. Yeah, that was why Apple got into podcasting and because it, it helped them at that time. Were they expecting this to be just a free content delivery network where people could do music and video and well, whatever? No, they, they always knew they were going to sell music because at the time they were already selling music in the U.S. Right. But they were rolling out iTunes around the world and they didn't have rights and they wanted to get these store iTunes stores up in these countries so that the iPods, when you had an iPod, you had something to but, put okay, on but it. But okay, so I understand. So in, so in Botswana... If, if the Saudi iTunes, Arabia and other countries sure, like that. Sure, the iTunes right. store is empty for, from day one, but the podcast... Well, they didn't even launch in those countries until they had podcasts. Okay, so they had podcasts. Because so they, they didn't want to launch an iTunes store in a country and have absolutely nothing in it. Yeah. So what did the... Oh, okay. So they had launched podcasts, though, and back then it was like, okay, you've got .NET Rocks and... And probably some techno podcasts. So you can in listen the, to some techno. Right. In the early days, yeah, it was it was all, a lot of tech podcasts. It was skepticality and, and podcast 411, my podcast. There were, there were some podcasters that were there podcasting before June of 2005. But they had, you know, you could download the iTunes application, but there wasn't a quote-unquote iTunes store for those different countries. So as they rolled out the stores in preparation to get the music rights and get the movie rights, uh, this was a way for them to have content in there. And again, this was before, well before, there was an app store. Because the app store didn't come around until 2008. Okay, so we've talked about the past a little bit here. Do you think the future of podcasts is video? No. No, podcasts, I just recently um, ran some numbers, and, and I looked at all the shows that host with Libsyn, and, and to put Libsyn in perspective, uh, we did over 4.6 billion downloads last year. Over 25% of all the downloads that went through iTunes came through our server, and no one else was even 10%. So we have a pretty big data set to look at. And uh, when I looked uh, in January, I looked at all the episodes released in the month of January, measured them at the end of February. So on average, each episode was 40, about 45 days old. And I looked at all the ones that had 100,000 downloads or more. Less than 3% were video. Sure, but that's the present. That's and the present. In the past, it was higher. And, and, and if you go into iTunes right now, 
and you go into, you, anybody can do this, you go into iTunes store and you look at the top episodes. Look at how many of the top episodes are audio versus video. No, I get it. I mean, you can sure, if you look at the history and try to pr project trends based on that, it's going to look like video is going nowhere. But what I see is that the internet is making its way to the television and podcasting is the best way to, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I will generally listen to a podcast over an audio book over, and I will listen to an audiobook over music. I'm a huge music fan. Podcasting is basically the top of my listening queue for stuff that I'm going to listen to. Obviously, there's different contextual stuff. Maybe I'm in the gym, I'm listening to it, I want to listen to music or whatever. That feels like a product of this ecosystem building over time and gradually, for a number of reasons, turning into this strange, unregulated beast. When I think about that strange, unregulated beast applying to video and video making its way... like video making its way to the television where people actually want to watch it in an unregulated fashion, which is happening gradually, it would make sense that, well, I mean, maybe we'll have video going out through an RSS feed and having some consumptive platform like the podcast player that makes it easier to consume that unregulated video. YouTube won video. See, but YouTube's it, regulated. But, but YouTube won. I mean, but the thing is, they, they won the video. Because back in the day of podcasting, because early on in podcasting, Libsyn hosted a lot of the big video podcasts. We hosted Tiki Bar TV. We host, hosted Ask a Ninja. We hosted some of the big early YouTube stars, too, like uh, uh, Hot for Words and some other ones. Uh, so we had some really big Duke Tones and, and some of the other big video ones. So uh, we had these big video podcasts early on. And it was almost a 50-50 split in the early days of audio and video, but YouTube ultimately won the video. Now, podcasting, consumption-wise, you mentioned you have all this audio. Here's the thing. In your day, you have more time to consume audio than you do video. When you're driving in the car, when you're working out, you're doing yard work, that's where podcast consumption comes in as the audio content. People are using their time to multitask with audio. You can't multitask with video. You can't drive the car and watch video. Not, not successfully, not for long, not without getting killed. Right? You can't sit at work and watch video, not for long, not without getting fired. But you can sit at work and listen to a podcast and get that done and get your work done. If boss comes around the corner, you got your earplugs in and you're listening to a podcast, that's fine. You're being quiet and you're getting your job done. You're happy. Boss is happy. Comes around the corner and you're watching the latest episode of uh, the, the guys down in Texas that shoot the, the shot, you know, the shot guys, um, you're probably going to lose your job. You know, uh, uh, dude perfect, whatever it is. Uh, I, I don't see, you know, the trends I've seen in the last 12 years has been audio dominating the podcast space and YouTube dominating the video space. I used to go out and actually recruit, try to get the YouTubers over. The other thing is it's much more expensive to do video podcasting. Uh, if you want to get a, an audio file out there, 64 kilobits per second is fine. That's a half a meg a minute, mo MP3, mono. You want to get the same amount of time of video. If you did 640 by 360 resolution, which is really low, it's not even 540p, you're looking at 6 meg a minute. You start getting a 540p, then you're up to something to 20 minute, 20 meg a minute. And now you say you, you want to do 720p, and God forbid you want to do 1080p, you're up in 60 or more meg per minute compared to half a meg a minute for audio. So there is a cost factor involved for storage, for, the, for your, your audience's consumption of the video, uh, for their data plans. But if you imagine the future as... So the future is not just going to be YouTube. It's going to be YouTube, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon Streaming, 
and other stuff. So why wouldn't there be a very open platform like a podcast player on the TV, especially because it's just a client-side device, it's just pulling from a network somewhere, it's the exact same model as your device listening on your podcast. I mean, nobody is paying out of pocket unless they are... I mean, it's just, it's, just a, it's, the, it's the exact same model as how I listen to audio now. It's just the only friction is there's, it's not a, there's not a screen to watch things on. There's not the perfect interface. And as things become easier to make great interfaces for, as the YouTube interface becomes a commodity, then why wouldn't there be an opened-up platform to pe- for people to put video on? Well, I mean... There already is, technically. I mean, iTunes supports video. I mean, so it's audio and video, even PDFs. And Libsyn supports audio, video, and PDFs. So it's been there all along. But what's happened over time is the use case of podcasting has become audio. The consumers have spoke. I mean, consumers have chosen that they want to listen to podcasts. And they don't want to watch podcasts. So, I mean, we have podcasters that do both audio and video. Gary V used to do both audio and video. Joyce Myers with us does audio video. Consumer Reports does audio and video. And almost to a T, it's 10 to 1 downloads audio to video. And ironically, the ones that are doing 10 to 1 for audio to video are spending more money on bandwidth for the video and getting less than one-tenth the downloads they get from their audio. And so folks like Gary V and some others have stopped actually doing the video podcasts because they're like, well, it doesn't make any sense. I'm getting all my downloads from audio. So... The producers who have looked at this, who've done the same content as audio and video, said, well, my consumers are, are choos- have chosen. They chose audio. Yeah. And, and there's nothing stopping video podcasts from going out there. All the tools are in place yeah. and, and, and have supported it. I, I just think that podcasting, because of the smartphone, has really become this do it while you listen to it while you do something else type medium where the phone is in your pocket you're driving down the road you know I, I, I joke with people I say they, they want to make the connected car be this big deal and I'm like the connected car is just a glorified Bluetooth speaker people aren't picking the podcast they're listening to in their car in their car they're picking the podcast they're listening to in their car while they're in the kitchen on the way out to their car. They're like, okay, I'm going to hit this. I hit play. And they start hitting play and listening as they walk to their car and they get in the car and then the Bluetooth takes over. So it's all about the smartphone is really what podcasting has become. And for podcast consumption on the smartphone, it really is about audio. Uh, it, it, when we look at set-top boxes, which we track, it's like 21 one-hundredths of a percent is what percentage goes to set-top boxes. It's not even half a percent. It's 21 one hundredths. I mean, it's not. It's, a, it, it, it's minuscule, and, and and I'm probably one of those user agents. I'm probably miscounting as a to set top box because they also have a, a smartphone app. So I, I was like, well, where do I put them? Well, they started as set top, so I'll put them at set top. Um, so I, I'm probably overstating it at 21 one hundredths. Mobile is 86. Most of the mobile is audio at this point. mentioned Audible a couple times already. Audible's a really interesting player in this space because not only do they buy so many ads on podcasts because it's like obvious, you know, shared audience there. Okay, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, probably you're going to listen to an audiobook. But they're doing this thing with podcasts where they're sort of trying to balkanize podcasting in their own little world where 
they have these things that you can open up Audible and listen to these Audible-only podcasts. Which are not technically even podcasts. So what they've done is they've gone out and gotten some podcasters to create some original content for yeah. Audible. Yeah. And somehow they've called it a podcast. It's not. So here's my definition of a podcast, and some people hate this, but here's my definition. You have an RSS 2.0 feed, and your show is in iTunes. Yeah. If your show isn't in iTunes, you're not a podcast. (laughs) And again, that comes back to they control 80% of the market, either directly or indirectly through their directory. So if you're not in iTunes, you're not in Overcast, you're not in Shifty Jelly Pocket Cast, you're not in Podcast Addict. And so are you really a podcast if you're not in those? No. No, because you're not in those, you know, less than... 20% 20% of the audience can ever even hope to get you. What's the rationale behind their strategy? Oh, Audible? Yeah. Oh, well, they're just adding value. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking them for what they're doing, but don't call it podcasting. They, they're, misna- they're mislabeling it, misnaming it to try to ride on the, on the podcast coattails that have been popular for the last couple of years in the press. Um, but what they're doing is just creating original audio content by some well-known podcasters. And, and that's fine. That's great. It's no more than what, say, Pandora said. You know, people want to say, oh, Pandora's getting into podcasting. No, they haven't. They, they talked about three or four podcasters to get their content on there in some unique basis. That's not, Pandora hasn't embraced podcasting in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I always joke with people, you know, Libsyn's, mod, Libsyn's goal is to get you to say to your audience, listen to my podcast any place you listen to audio except Pandora and, 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 and Audible <laughs> as well. Right. Well, so I guess what Audible is ultimately saying is Amazon, which owns Audible, is a we are in the subscription business. We are not in the uh, open format running ads on this business. So we're not going to form fit our audio. Because Amazon obviously says we want to make original audio content, but we're not in the business of running ads on our content. Why get into that business? We've already got Audible. Let's just throw our original audio content on Audible. And to the end consumer, it feels pretty weird. Like, I've tried listening to the podcast-like experiences on Audible. I don't like it. Maybe it's a force. Maybe it's like a matter of habit. Maybe it's that I don't really like the content that they're putting out. But for some reason or another, I'm just like, I don't really like this. Right. Again, Audible's trying to do something for their audience. Yeah based on how their audience works. And, and that's a different audience. You know, not 100% Maybe, different. Maybe, but is it like how much, like what do you think is the overlap, percentage overlap between Audible listeners and podcast listeners? Well, they're, they're, obviously, there's clearly a big overlap. Uh, I would say this. If you listen on Audible, there's a good chance you listen on podcasts. Um, I would say more Audible listeners listen to podcasts and podcasts listen to Audible. But there's a lot of people that came to Audible from podcasting because of all the advertising they've done in the space. And then they've been doing the advertising in the space. And again, they were the first advertiser on Today and iOS when it was Today and iPhone. So they've been doing this over 10 years. And they haven't continued with it for 10 years because it wasn't effective. They continued because it's effective. They're doing DR. So they track everybody's numbers so they know. Um, but it is a different use case in, in that there's a lot of original content that's nowhere else. Uh, there are books. I mean, a lot of people are listening because they want to, they want to, <laughs> Game of Thrones has been a huge boon for Audible. Yeah. Right? And, and when there's other hit series that haven't made it all the way through production, people go and consume ahead of time because they don't have time to read. So if you're a fan of Game of Thrones and you don't have time to read, you may go ahead and get all the, the, the books. Now, Game of Thrones is actually caught up, finally, to where the books are. Um, and there's some differences, um, you know, like Baritone de, what, what, is, uh, what was that one guy? Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the one, uh, 
guard who died in, in, in well, I'm probably going to do a spoiler, so I'll, I will stop there. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it to anybody. But there was, there was one character who died in Game of Thrones on television, but is alive in the book. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, anyway, like, thinking about it more, I guess if there were a podcast or a Audible exclusive, whatever they're calling it, with somebody who I really loved, like, let's say I was a huge Mark Maron fan, and Mark Maron said, I'm going on Audible, I'd probably switch to Audible, whatever. So it's probably a matter of time until they have some fairly compelling content. I mean, it's like Amazon Prime Video in the earliest days, I don't think had that much going on, but it's kept gathering steam. Um, anyway, let's... Uh, yeah, no, uh, t- Audible has some great content, and they're trying to add podcasters' original content to that, and that's fine. Yeah, just don't call it podcasting. Right, right, right. right. I, I think they're giving it. They're they're co-opting the name. Yeah, yeah. And it, if it's on Audible and it's not in an RSS feed, it's not a podcast. It's original audio content created by a podcaster. Yeah. who happens you know someone who happens to be a podcaster, but it's not a podcast. Yeah. Okay, so. I want to talk about Libsyn. Uh, Libsyn has been around for 13 years at this point, 14 Nove- years? November 2004. Right, so like 13 years. Uh, it is a hosting and analytics and CDNs all-in-one service for, podca- I guess, podcasters is the Yeah, I mean, our, our core market is podcasters. Yeah, okay. People so, that want to get their podcast, you know, even before there was iTunes, people that want to have an RSS feed to get their show out there. Yeah. How has Libsyn remained the dominant force? Because it seems in some ways like a commodity. It's just hosting and analytics. Can't anybody do this? Can't any company come out and do this? We are podcasters. So a lot of the people that work at Libsyn are podcasters. Um, we've built a really reliable back end. You know, I, I was talking to you earlier, and I'll, I'll knock on wood because I have to. My, my Dell developers tell me I have to. But you know, we've had 100% uptime the last three-plus years. That's over 10 billion downloads straight with no downtime for the end users. We've done that by putting a lot of hard work into our back end. And because we have so many users, our costs get spread out. So we're able to get better back end equipment where other people are trying to cut corners to make ends meet. We're not cutting corners. We're adding corners. You know, we dual CDN. We don't have one CDN. We have two that we have. So if one of them goes down, we've, we've got the backup. We've got multiple data centers. We redundance. And then on top of that, we have a very simple belief. We believe anybody should podcast, be able to podcast. And we want to give anyone with no technical knowledge. You don't have to know how to have a, a web code a website. You don't have to know anything about WordPress. If you've never had a website in your life, you should be able to go to Libsyn, sign up, get a web page, upload your files, get an RSS feed, and submit into iTunes. And, and that's been our philosophy. Is we want everybody to be able to podcast. And we want everybody to be everywhere. It's not just being in iTunes. Yes, iTunes is 80%. But we also have deals with Google Play Music and with iHeartRadio and Spotify. And we'll take your audio and convert it to video to get it into YouTube because YouTube has some really nice SEO juice. And we'll take your audio and convert it to video to put it into Facebook. And we can publish to Twitter and to LinkedIn and to your blogger page or your Tumblr page. So we believe on getting content everywhere. We'll make a smartphone app for you. We'll make an iOS app, an Android, even a Windows phone app for you. The hosting is, is a key part of it. Then we have a couple of other ways to help you monetize. We can help you monetize either through a premium offering or advertising. 
And, and then we have a pro service for the bigger folks. So if you go into iTunes and see some of the bigger names in podcasting, there's a good chance those are hosted with Libsyn. So you, there's a Dave Ramsey's and the Joyce Myers of the world. But we also have the Mark Marins and the Joe Rogans and uh, Welcome to Night Vale. We, we have a lot of these big shows. Um, and we have a lot of shows that people have never heard of you know, that, that get 15, 20 downloads an episode. And by the way, they're very happy with those 15 or 20 downloads because they're podcasting for a hobby. Yeah. And we think hobbyists should be able to podcast just as much as a folk for NPR should be able to yeah, podcast. Yeah. Podcasting is not radio. And a lot of people want to, in radio want to tell you that podcasting is radio. No. Yeah. Podcasting is audio on demand. That's right. And it, it, it's not radio. Yeah. It's not for the broad. It's not a broadcast medium. It's a niche medium. It's more like magazines than it is radio. Hmm. It just happens to be an audio format. Since this is Software Engineering Daily, we're talking about a lot of non-software engineering topics, but can you talk some about the infrastructure? Just give an overview of the infrastructure. What does a mature podcast hosting and analytics service architecture look like? Uh, well, we have a lot of devs, uh, and I don't, uh, I'll, I'll put it out, I don't do any of the dev work. Sure. So I'm more... Closer in, in, in analogy as a product manager, you know, in, in, and I'm a biz. I do the biz dev and, and sales and, and product management. So I'll come back to our team and say, "Hey, here's some features we need." And I'm a pod. I'm a podcaster, so I'm asking for things that I want myself. So for for example, the converting of audio to video and uploading to YouTube, that was something I used to do manually, and I knew other podcasters are doing it manually. Now we do it automatic. So back to your question, um, I hear the guys talking a lot about JSON <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and Java, um, but we code it all internally. I don't even know our primary language, uh, SQL, you know, obviously a lot of database. And, and, and I'm really, I used to be actually a pretty good programmer when I was in high school, and, I, and, then I, and then I went to college, and I said, oh, I'm going to become an engineer, and I'll still program. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out so yeah. well. I should have stayed with computer science. Yeah, well... I mean, you and I were having some interesting conversations earlier where you said, like, we actually have to be in two CDNs. Uh, Amazon is too slow for us. Oh, even, yeah. We, even a, the AWS podcast sounds like it's hosted in Libsyn. Amazon has some official podcasts, and they host with us. And right. Yeah, it, 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 we are, you know, it, it, this is no secret. You can go and look and see where our CDNs are. We use Highwinds and, and Edgecast. So we dual CDNs. So our back-end support is, is done well. And then we have traffic servers in Pittsburgh, and we've got... Uh, our main servers for the files are down in Texas and then redundant servers in, in Florida. So the backups there and then the CDNs push out to 60 nodes around the world. So no matter where you are, when you go to get a file, it's delivered quickly right to you. It's not, if you're in Australia, you're not pulling a file from Texas, right? You're actually pulling a file from Australia. And so it, it helps speed up the end user case. Uh, so we spent a lot, a lot of time building up a very, very robust backend. And so all the copycats that have come along since then where they build some kind of hosting and analytics service, basically it sounds like it's not as if Libsyn does anything that's uncopyable, but rather you have so many small areas of value add that it wraps up into a nice package that is really hard to replace unless you care enough about podcasting to understand every little nook and cranny of the product. One of the things we've done from day one is we've made it easy to leave Libsyn, which you would think would hurt us. We believe in a free open internet, and we believe that if you host a podcast with us, you should be able to leave because you want to, not, you know, you shouldn't stay with us because you have to. So we have always given podcasters the tools to make their own decisions. 
And then what we try to do because of that is make sure our service is really, really good. Because if we make it easy for you to leave, we better not give you a reason to leave. Yeah. It's that simple. There are services out there that you'll sign up for and they won't redirect your RSS feed. They won't let you leave. You can go on a social media and cry and compo- moan and oh, complain wow. and they won't let you leave. Oh, Libsyn, wow. you can put in your own redirect. It's right in the UI. You don't even have to ask us. We'll put a permanent one in if you want so you can close your account down and it'll always be there. You can put in iTunes new feed tag. And to start with, you can bring over your own custom URL so your feed isn't even our feed. Is there any added latency if I make a redirect from... No. No, it just you'll add the redirect and you put the iTunes new feed tag at your new feed and, and you're good to go. Wow. Because we make it easy, again, our philosophy is we don't want you to leave, right? But if you want to leave, that's fine. We don't want you to stay if you don't want to stay. We want to give you reasons to stay. And, and I think when it comes down to as a podcaster, you're a podcaster. Yeah. What do you want? You want people to listen to your content. You yeah. think you've created something good. That's right. And that's what I think yeah. as a podcaster. And I want as many people to listen to it as possible. And in as many places as possible. Yeah. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see today from new services popping up is this walled garden approach. Yeah. You, have to, you have to use our player. You have to only listen on this site, right? And we're not going to put it out everywhere. Podcast it's, it's, listeners it's, it's, are It's cats. insane. And it's so, like, I've talked to some, some of these companies that are trying to do stuff like this. And I'm like, you guys, this is not going to work. It doesn't work. No, I've had... People are like, nope, you can't put your podcast on Google Play Music because they, they rehost it. I don't, we don't care. Actually, we like that. That's fine. And let Google pay for the, the bandwidth, right? Um, you want to be everywhere. Podcast listeners are like cats. You're not going to herd cats over to this platform. You're not going to say, hey, I know you like to listen to podcasts on this app, but if you listen on this app, I can give you my ads better, right? No one's ever going to make that move. That doesn't make any sense. Um, our, our tools aren't built around making advertisers happy. Our tools are around making consumers happy. So, so speaking of the ad space, so the dream that everybody wants in the ad space, uh, if you're developing a product, is something where you can aggregate all the listens from the people who have... So like there's all these people who have a podcast that get... Every episode gets 500 listens or 1,500 listens or 600 listens. Like somewhere it's like kind of hard to strike a deal with an advertiser but if you could have some kind of aggregation where okay audible buys 10,000 listens across eight different random podcasts that would be great this is the dream that everybody wants it seems like there is not quite enough volume on the advertiser demand side of things or people don't want dynamic ad insertion very much people just want host reads and it's harder to negotiate host reads across a bulk purchase of seven different podcast advertising. Give me a picture for the biggest frictions in the podcast advertising industry because when blogs started getting Google AdSense, I think that helped a lot of bloggers. Like Bloggers were able to just like one click, you drop in some JavaScript and you've got ads on your blog and now you make good money. Podcasters can't do that. Right. It, 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 and first off, a lot of the bloggers that put in that didn't make any money because, you know, the average blog read is like three. Right. So but people that had an audience, a decent sized audience made some money. And it's like that in podcasting. If you have a decent sized audience, you can make some money. You're going to make the most money with a host red ad. A host red ad, you're going to be in the 40 to $50 range CPM. So $40 to $50 for every thousand downloads. And, and so if you're getting 10,000 downloads or 100,000 downloads, that adds up to some significant money. 
But if you're getting 100 downloads or 500 downloads or 1,500 downloads and it's a programmatic ad buy, right? So this is a programmatic where they're going to stitch ads in. Your CPM rate that you're going to get paid is going to be $3. So if you're getting 1,000 downloads in a month or an episode and you're getting $3 for that, is it worth it to you as a podcaster to interrupt your podcast with this ad that you have no say in what it is? Yeah. But, well, but the dream would be some platform where dyna- you have dynamic host-read ads. The, ho- the, the host gets a ping, hey, read these five different ads. We'll dynamically insert them. All right. So the host does the ad read, right? You got 1,000 downloads an episode, and the host does that ad read. And now he's getting $20 for yeah. that ad read for 1000 $20. Is that worth it for you? And, and the question is, does it make sense? When does it make sense? The, when you look at that. The only one that makes money when you aggregate those together is the person aggregating. The, the producers don't really mani- make it out on those d- deals. If you want to monetize and you have an, a- an audience of 1,000, advertising isn't how you monetize. Premium is how you monetize. Right. You get, you get a subscribers. You get your listeners to donate or pay you $4.99 a month. Yeah. For 1,000 people paying you $4.99 a month, do the ma- math. It's a lot better than advertisers getting you twenty dollars. So you see, you, did you build that on Libsyn? So, you built a Patreon yeah. type of thing on Libsyn. Yeah, well, built it before Patreon, but yes, Mark Marin used to use us. He had forty-three thousand paid subscribers. Wow, forty-three thousand people were paying a buck ninety-nine a month for his back catalog. So if you are a podcaster and you've got a niche topic and you have a thousand people listening to your show, and you come out with a a subject. Um, some premium content and you charge four ninety nine. you may get 10% of your audience if it's really niche and you have a good connection that's 100 people at 5 bucks that's $500 in a month if you want to go advertising you get $20 an episode you release 4 episodes in a month that's $80 the math is not there for advertising when your show is below 5,000 downloads an episode it's there for premium if you're below 5,000 premium is the way to go if you're above 5,000, you should do a hybrid, premium and advertising. And, and yeah, if you're not going to use, you're not with Libsyn, go with, go with a, um, a Patreon or go with a PayPal donation button. That's what you know, Dan Carlin does. You know, there's nothing, that, nothing says you have to use Patreon. I mean, before there was Patreon, there was PayPal. You know, and, and people had that little donate button. Talk about Twit and Leo Laporte back in their early days, right? He Is had that what that. he did? Yeah, early on. He had the Twit. He had the donate button for pay, pay, PayPal. Hmm. So... Advertising is, is, is fine to make as a revenue generation device if your show is in the five or 10 or midroll would tell you 50,000 or more. Yeah. Midroll's, you know, limit, low limit is 50. Uh, the advertisers we work with happen to be five. Below five, it doesn't really make much sense for anybody unless you have a really super niche and you have to go out and get a sponsorship. Matter of fact, what I tell podcasters is if, if you want to get advertising revenue and your show is 1,000 and you have a niche, Go out and get a magazine in that niche. Find every advertiser that has less, has a half page ad or less. Collect those names. Go to the advertiser. Ask how much a half a page ad and a quarter page ad costs. Now you know what they paid. Then go contact those advertisers directly. Say, hey, I have a topic that covers what you're looking for. The same psychographic, and here and, and I'll let you sponsor an episode for two fifty. Yeah. So forget the CPM and all that stuff. Go for sponsorship directly yeah. in a psychographic. Forget demographics, think psychographics, and go out and do the research for your own show. Don't yeah. look at a network. Don't look at a Libsyn to do the work for you. Yeah. You know, if you've got a show about 
bowling management. You know, you've got a, a podcast that talks about the bowling management. You know, if you own a bowling alley, there's actually a magazine for this for um, uh, bowling alley owners. Interesting. Right. So if you had a podcast on the same thing, you just go through that magazine and find all the people that advertise in it, and that's your advertisers. That's where that's how you, you get sponsorship. And I don't call it advertising at that point. I call it sponsorship because they're not looking at CPM. They're just looking at a flat rate for your episode. Hmm. Okay, so we'll, be, we'll begin to wrap up in a second. I just want to ask a little, a little bit more about advertising, and then we'll, then we'll finish up. Um, do you, you have dynamic ads on Libsyn? Yes, you, we've you, had it for ten years. Okay, yeah, I've never, I, I haven't used it. But we, I, we've we've done advertising both ways, and, and I can tell, and I tell people this: less than ten percent of the advertisers that buy dynamic ads come back. Over ninety percent of the advertisers that do host oh, red ads come back. Massive churn. Yeah, yeah. Host red ads are effective. Ad inserted ads are not. And we have the tools. I mean, we sell them both ways. So we're not biased one way or the other. We were doing dynamic ads long before these companies that, quote, unquote, recently invented dynamic ads, if you read these articles. Um, it's nothing new. Dynamic ads have been around for a long time. But the return on investment isn't there. And, and the, peop- the audiences don't like them as much. Yeah, they sure don't. Okay, so to close off, when do we start seeing brand advertisers in podcasts. This they've is the been here. Well, they've I been mean, here. they've been here. That's the thing. They've been here and they went away. Um, you know, we had Coca-Cola, the U.S. Navy, Ford, Saturn, when Saturn used to be in business. That's how long ago, right? We've had them come in as brand advertisers and we did some of the ad stitching stuff. And, and the problem with brand advertisers is the rates they want to pay are a lot lower than the rates the DR people are. It's not that brand advertisers aren't willing to come in. They're just not willing to pay what the DR folks are paying right now. You're going to see more brand advertisers come in. We still see some brand ad campaigns coming in from time to time. But I don't think we're going to see where brand advertising is the majority of advertising. I I think, again, I've, I've been at conferences where they've talked about it and they say, oh, well, radio gets this amount of ad revenue, these many billions of dollars each year in advertising on radio. Well, first off, most of that advertising revenue is local. It's a local car dealership and everything else. Podcasting is anything but local. Again, that comes back to don't think of podcasts like radio. They're not radio. And and so we're not going to see all that local advertising come to podcasting. There's a few podcasts that do well local because they're about, you know, Kansas City Startup Podcast, one of my podcasts that I did, which is all about the Kansas City startup scene. So that's Fascinating. Local. Yeah, it's local, but I did it more as a fun hobby to see if I could podcast all from an iPhone. So I would do it all on my iPhone and upload and publish. But it was a, it's a local podcast. That one I could go out to a local advertiser. But the numbers are small. I mean, niche podcasts for a small market are always going to be very small, unless it's a, the sports team. Then you get a little bit better, like um, uh, Gleeman and the Geek is a, is a Minnesota Twins podcast, or Ivy Envy is a Chicago Cubs podcast. Those get some decent numbers. But outside of sports, local podcasts are very small in numbers. So I, you know, I would like to just people to stop thinking like it's radio. Start thinking niche, start thinking more like magazines. I think you'll be more successful, especially as a smaller podcast. And if your show happens to hit big, then yeah, there are people like Libsyn and, and Midroll and others that will help you with advertising. Are you saying that Coke should not be advertising on podcasts? What I'm saying is Coke should be advertising on podcasts, but they're not going to pay the rate that the DR people are going <laughs> right. to pay. Right, so, right, right. so what happens is you have an inventory you, as a podcaster. What do you want to do? Do you want to sell your inventory at 
a $5 CPM to Coke for you to do the host red ad? Or do you want to sell it at $50 for Harry's? But somebody like Coke still buys Super Bowl ads. Mm-hmm. And, 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 yeah. But I guess Super Bowl ads. It, it's, you can't, first off, you can't use the Super Bowl ads as, as, any, as, as a realistic measuring stick because it's, it's the it's rate like they pay. It's kind of like a Tim Ferriss ad. Right. Well, yes. But, but it's, it's, a, it's a very limited supply. There's so it's a like limited, Tim Ferriss. Right, right. There's a limited supply. It's not what you get, what, what you pay for an ad on the Super Bowl at that time that the ad's running is a lot different than what you're paying for Murder, She Wrote on one of the other channels on that cable box, right? So don't look at that. Look at what are people are paying for regular television ads and, and, and the audience and the CPMs and what they're paying for radio. And, and, and those, I would love to see big brands come in, pay close to what the DR people are paying because I think it'll be effective for them. But right now, they aren't ready to do that. They haven't shown overall the willingness to pay what the DR folks are paying because they haven't figured out how to really measure the value because unfortunately, a lot of the people that are pitching the Cokes and the Pepsis are the same ones pitching the radio. And they're putting, they're trying to sell podcasting like it's radio. And Coke knows how effective radio is. Podcasting's more effective than radio. Yeah. And the rate should be higher. So I want big brands to come in, but at the rates the DR people have already shown podcasting is worth, not what radio is shown radio's worth, because it's two different mediums. Yeah, it shouldn't. Uh, do you listen to the Daily, the, that New York Times podcast? No. no. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, it's, I think it's like the most popular podcast right now. So it's sort of like 20 minutes every day, five days a week, where they talk about, you know, what crazy stuff has happened in the White House or whatever. And they only have one advertiser every day. It's the all-new BMW 5 Series. Like, complete brand advertiser, just in basically the same spot every day. Super short ad, but basically BMW bought the entire inventory for this season of the show. And I guess that's, I don't know, that's one way to do brand advertising on right. a podcast. And, and they probably paid a decent rate for that. I think they did. Right. And Although they, they apparently still got, I mean, in terms of CPM, if we look at it in terms of CPM, they, make, they got a great deal because... The podcast took off more than anybody could have imagined. So, so the, the owner of the podcast is looking at it. Wow, I left a lot of money on the table. Uh, maybe it's the New York Times, so they're probably just like, "This is awesome. How do we replicate this?" There have been Ford, Saturn, yeah. Coke, yeah, U.S. Yeah, yeah. Navy. There have been brand advertisers in. Some have paid a decent rate. Some have offered up really low rates. We've turned down low rates from brand advertisers. Uh, because if we're going to spend our time selling, we're going to sell at the higher rates for the DR folks. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, um, selling at the higher rates. <laughs> I think that's what you want to do is, right, sales. I mean, I, I want to get the most money I can for the podcasters I'm working with. Uh, and I would love to see Coke come in and, and spend in 30 and $40 CPMs. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's justified it yeah. based on what the, you know, again, based oh, yeah. on the feedback from the oh, DR yeah. folks. Absolutely. I, I think it's justified. Hopefully, Coke will see it as justified at some point in the future, and some other guys will see it as justified in the future. We're not there yet. Yeah. The IEB is trying to help by standardizing ad rates and having some upfronts and some other things. We're a better place today than we were three years ago. Yeah. As far as advertising goes, uh, it's gotten better. But the DR world is going to, I think, for the next few years, still dominate the world of podcasting. You're still going to hear... Sorry, you're going to hear more stamps.com 
more HelloFresh, more Harry's razors, more Casper ads. Well, it's an argument for more brands doing direct response also. Like, if you're a brand and you're, you don't have a direct response model, why not build one? Yeah, it, when we did one with Coke Universal, there was actually a little bit of a DR um, uh, aspect to it where they wanted to get people to go to a um, event at Universal theme parks. So it was a Coke Universal themes park campaign where they were trying to drive people to the website because of a special celebration going on at the, at the theme park. And we even geo-targeted um, through different cities in Florida. Uh, so we had that part of it. Yeah. But the Saturn was completely a um, brand play. Of course. Yeah. And U.S. Navy was a, was a, a mixture. It was a recruiting play. Which, by the way, to tell you how bad things were, the U.S. Navy was trying to recruit 18-year-old males and turned her down. One of the podcasts they turned down for the campaign was hot for words because it was too sexy. That was their reasoning at the time. They turned down a show because it was a girl... Uh, you have to go to YouTube and find hot for words. <laughs> but it was a, a Russian woman <laughs> teaching you the etymology of a word in, in a bikini. And they thought that was inappropriate to recruit 18-year-old males. Yeah. Yes, because 18-year-old males are not interested in hot <laughs> right. Russian women yeah. speaking about etymology uh, of words. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, final question. Um, three interesting podcasts that you started listening to recently. One of them... It was I just started listening to today, so it was interesting, and I it was one I hadn't heard of. It's called Built in a Day, and I actually interviewed the the producer today, so I started listening to it because I was interviewing him. He's works for Microsoft, and I go, oh, he's a podcast. Let me check it out. And Built in a Day, what they do is they find people that have a business, and they go through and say, oh, you know, a business idea. And they go, well, let's see if this is actually a worthy business idea. They listen to it and they give the, the person a test. Go out and do this testing and see what results you get. And then they come back, they do that, and they, they kind of pause for a few seconds. And what in reality is like a week. And then they finish the episode That's with incredible. the results. Yeah, so what a great idea. It really is. And so the, the guys do a really good job So like it. he goes and interviews a... Uh, laundry business and and says, okay, now remove three of your machines and see if your ROI is better. And then they come back a week later and say, how'd your ROI change? Right. Yeah. One of them was, it was a company they wanted to do, and I kid you not, eulogies for hire. So basically the company would write eulogies for you. And so they said, well, go out and test this and see what you know, talk to some funeral homes and see what happens. And they came back and the testing basically said <laughs> the business was not going to work. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's so it was very interesting show. So that was, you know, built in a day okay. um, is one that I literally discovered today. Yeah. And it was, and I said, I'll listen to one episode. I wound up listening to four episodes. Wow. I, I liked it so much. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Joe um, is, is the, uh, one of the hosts and he works for Microsoft. So uh, really good one. Uh, other, you know, I'm always testing different ones. Uh, uh, one of the ones that I've gotten into recently, uh, Case File, but it's it's been around for a while. Uh, but I was I've been listening to that one recently, and um, it, 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 I'm a history buff, so I love any history podcasts. So I'm always listening to history podcasts. And uh, the most recent one uh, I've gotten into now is uh, History of World War II. So it's been around for a while, but I, I just started listening to that because I've gotten through some of my other history ones. So Ray's doing a good job with that. And his Life of Caesar is another good one that I have in my queue as well. 
So, but I, I, I'm a history nerd, so you got to watch my recommendations. But if you love history, those are two really good ones um, to go go with. I do. Yeah, I will check those out. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. I already forgot your name because I just met you today, Rob. Okay, Rob, it's been great. Um, Jeff, thanks I for love having Libsyn. me on. Uh, I've you. been a longtime customer, and I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. Great. Well, that's, but not because I'm locked in. Right. And, and that's that's again that's our philosophy: stay because you want to. Right. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Thanks.